Whisper Podcast. Oh, sorry. Whisper Podcast may contain content that may be sensitive for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. That's better. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Whisper Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Tyler. And I am your host, Dylan Gomez. Welcome, guys. Welcome back. Uh, You know, we're just waking up from a long, long little um, hibernation. We were sleeping, babes. We were sleepy. How is everyone? We're checking in. First of all, let me just say, we've missed y'all. As if you are someone out there who works full-time and um is busy you know exactly where we were baby we were at work and if we were not at work we were eating and if we were not eating we were sleeping (laughs) but you know where we are right now present yes and like i said zach today we do have a very special treat oh my god nobody was nobody is expecting this and I think that I'm really excited about it because this is just such like a niche thing to us that I feel like for us to get this opportunity, you know, to have said special treat is so special. How how did this opportunity find us? Tell tell us more about it, Dylan. So there could be nothing I think that could have suited our listeners and us better than a therapist, marriage, family, sex therapist, baby. And that is mm. who we are interviewing today, Miss Yana Tallin Hicks. She came out with an excellent book that is queer inclusive. Wait, wait, wait. Dylan, did you say a queer inclusive sex I book? did, queer inclusive, but you do not have to be queer to pick this one up. You can read this book if you are mm. literally just hooking up with somebody for one day, it could be applied. If you are have been married for 25 years, it could be applied. She is excellent and you guys are going to absolutely love her. If you live on this planet Earth, you need to pick up this book because let me just say, it is very difficult for me to get captivated by a book on my phone. So the fact that like I actually sat with this book, I read it, and then I had to sit and like let it process, that really says something because like, uh, I don't know, like books on phones, not really my thing, but this book on my phone was 100% my thing. It encapsulated your mind, baby. It took over. Uh, so yeah, so I cannot wait to introduce our guest for the day, Miss Yana Tallin Hicks. Hi, my name is Yana. I use she, her pronouns. I am a sex therapist. I work primarily with kinky, non-monogamous, and queer clients. And I just wrote a book called Hot and Unbothered, How to Think About, Talk About, and Have the Sex You Really Want, available anywhere you buy books. And... In our timeline that we are in right now in this recording, it's coming out tomorrow. <gasps> so exciting. Oh my I know. gosh. How do you feel? How do you feel that you wrote a book and now it's being released tomorrow? I feel anxious. <laughs> like I generally feel. 
<laughs> but it's kind of wild because like as far as books go like I just found out that I was pregnant with my kid when I was approached to write the book proposal and he is three. Oh my gosh wow so yeah you... so I'm like oh okay it's been like four years yeah, you literally had a toddler within the time that you released a book. That's amazing. Yes. And also really cool to, like, see your physical child born and then also have the book come out. <laughs> well, it's kind of wild because I have all these copies of the book, like, floating around my house. And he'll pick it up and go, Mama wrote this. Oh, and I'm like, so okay. And then he goes, it has letters and numbers. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it has letters and numbers. And that's about the extent of what he knows about the book. <laughs> you know, there will come a time where he'll know everything about the book and it, it'll be amazing. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I wonder, like, what it's going to be like when he's old enough to read it. Like, if it'll be completely irrelevant, if, like, some of it will be relevant. I really don't know. Yeah. And mm. the relevancy of the book really kind of stands within, like, this modern time that we're in, you know? But if you showed this to, like, someone in the early 2000s, they'd be like, what is this? Like, what do you mean right. the boundaries <laughs> with Yeah, sex? definitely. I think that's a big thing, too. I Like we've gotten I think better at talking about sex slightly I mean it's still like definitely a progression but I think we have more language now than we did before so I think that's a pretty good place yeah, to be I was I was in high school in the early 2000s is that right yes I graduated high school in 2004 so writing this book for me was like okay I wish I had this book when I was a teenager that's also when I started having sex and like you're saying, right, the conversation was a lot different and a lot more absent. And we didn't have Google or Instagram or any of that secondary education sources. So it was like, you know. The education that you receive or and also like the influences of, you know, the media and, and like porn and how people kind of learn about sex and talk about sex. It's it's changed in in some ways but in a, a lot of ways it's still not it's still limited to what people are comfortable talking about uh socially so i think it's uh, those books like the one that you are going to put out i think is how we're going to progress i think yeah i mean that's the hope right is to just like mm -hmm. drive the needle forward as mm -hmm. much as you can yeah and when you graduated high school, did you like immediately jump into becoming a sex therapist or what was your path to becoming a sex therapist? Oh my God, I wish I could have just graduated high school and been like, and now I'm a sex therapist. <laughs> <laughs> like that uh, show Sex Education. Yes. Oh my God. I was literally going to ask you about that, but I was like, no, that's way too amateur <laughs> of a question to ask about no, that. No, I love that show. I really want to be Jillian Anderson's character when I grow up. You know what? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, that show's great. But, you know, n n I well, let's see. Let's think about this. I mean, I definitely was, like, a little renegade sex educator in high school. I was very about, like, talking about my friends, advocating for their own boundaries and desires and sex with their boyfriends. And you know, I would like lead the charge to go get free condoms at our local um, kind of Planned Parenthood-esque organization called Tapestry Health. And, um, and then a friend of mine was like, you know, you should talk about sex for a job. And I was like, 
well, that's a silly idea. Nobody does that. And <laughs> she was like, uh, Dr. Ruth does that. I don't know if that's like too dated of a I think I've reference. Heard. I think I've heard of Dr. <laughs> She's a very famous, like, sex educator type who is famous for being very blunt about sex while also being, like, 80 years old. Wow. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> so she was like, you should do this for a living. And I was like, oh, that's so silly. Don't make stuff up. And then when I went to college, I took a class called Youth Sexuality and Education which was all about the state of sex ed for youth in the U.S. And it was so fascinating to me. And I just ended up developing my own major about sex ed. And stuff kind of snowballed from there. I ended up writing a sex column. I didn't go back to graduate school for my master's in marriage and family therapy until I graduated that in 2017. So I took like a good six-year break. But I was doing sex ed workshops and writing about sex that whole time. So there's been consistent threads. Wow, that's amazing. And I think that it's really awesome, too, that, you know, you were able to take a break for six years and then be able to jump back into it. Uh, do you feel like much changed, like, within that time frame between the those six, six years? years? Yeah. Um, I think that it was interesting because, like, social media happened within that six years. Yeah. I mean, I had Facebook. I was kind of like the first generation of Facebook. You know, it came out when I was a freshman in college, when it was, like, only for college students. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it wasn't like the same beast that it is now, you know, like the iPhone came out, I think after I graduated from college, I think. Um, so it wasn't like, oh, we have this access, to all this stuff in our pockets all the time. Yeah. Um, so it, that really changed the way information like flows. So I was writing a sex, I mean, I still write the sex column for my local alternative newspaper, but it was in print every single week. I didn't have a social media presence yet. And I had a little cartoon picture of my face next to my Ooh. column. And <laughs> I live in a pretty small area. So people would like Id- identify me from that cartoon, which I always thought was really funny. I feel like it's pretty vague, but. <laughs> and that was kind of the way my, my work got around through word of mouth. And it was mostly local to like the East Coast. And social media just makes it so much more of a thing. You know, like there's so many sex educators on Instagram. I don't really do TikTok. Yeah. It's a little too much for me. Just a little bit too much. I I feel that too. It's like, I like to watch the TikToks. I'm sure if I was like in my 20s, I would be like all about it. But I'm like, I know where I belong. I'm sure you have have a bunch of work too now. I mean, since word got around and... Uh, you have your column that's like spreading the word as well so do you do you like was it kind of did it start like an anonymous thing because you were just a little cartoon or or did like people know no i put my real name on my column oh okay cool yeah it was interesting because when i got the job to write the column they asked me they were like you know it's traditional for a sex columnist to use fake names and i was like well I don't want to do that. Like, I feel like it's like shame based almost. You know, whatever. Like, yeah. If you want to have their privacy, have your privacy. But I was just like, no, man, like, this is what I'm about. Yeah. Like, you're like, I'm, this is what I'm preaching. I can't be, you know, hiding behind an alias. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I do, I kind of feel like I, I walk that line a little bit now because I'm a professional therapist and traditionally speaking therapists are supposed to be this like blank slate nothing person mm-hmm. and yeah. 
I am a therapist and I am also on the internet. And I, you know, I have boundaries and rules and ways to divide my professional life from my too intimate personal life, but I openly talk about sex on the internet all the time. And I mostly get clients from that because they identify me as somebody who is safe to talk to about sex. And I think traditionally therapists are trained to not put that out there. And I find it just mm-hmm. very interesting to like, see how that actually plays out in terms of like queer community in particular, being small and close knit and people identifying you as a safe person to talk to. Oh, absolutely. I think that's, um, I don't know about you, Zach, but that's been something that I look for in a therapist right away. I'm like, are they queer friendly? Because Mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to, to, you know, go to, well, you know, finding a therapist, like, you know, going on a first date. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of times, I mean, they can do more harm than good if they're not mm-hmm. the right fit. Oh, so. my God. The things I have heard from my clients about what other therapists have said to them in the past, I'm like, are you shitting me? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like literal I'm trauma. Like, it's really scary. You know, I don't think therapists realize quite so, like, how much power they really have. Like, myself included, you know, in that room. And I think it's really interesting how being a little more human kind of like balances that power out a little bit um but yeah Mm -hmm. people say some wild shit to their clients that you're like whoa like I have days where I'm like oh my god am I good at my job you know like everybody does Mm -hmm. healthy questioning and then I'm like well I certainly didn't say xyz (laughs) (laughs) the bar is all over the place it's interesting what sticks with your clients in terms of like what is like the way I've said certain things that have landed with my clients not in a necessarily a negative way so I've done that too but they'll be like oh that thing you said two weeks ago I've just really been thinking about it so like impactful and I'm like what thing (laughs) (laughs) and they tell me and I'm like oh my god like that was so off the cuff I said so many other things in that session with such intention and thought Mm -hmm. and the thing that with you was the thing that I just like threw in there you know? yeah <laughs> yeah kind of you never know oh my gosh you never know what what is truly gonna yeah stick with with the people do you try to be like more mindful after maybe with that particular person that you're doing a therapy session with about like or, or do you try to dissect like, like why did you take that the way you took it or why did I say it the way I said it or how, how do you go about that like you mean if it lands in a negative way yes or a challenging way mm-hmm. yeah challenging. I usually like I usually will take like a curious approach to it you know I'll be like oh interesting like obviously I mean I don't say this but obviously from my perspective I'm not trying to say anything that's gonna like be inflammatory to my clients or like irritate them yeah absolutely <laughs> like, there was something I'm trying to do Um, But I do like to talk about just like, oh, okay, like, I just take it at face value. I apologize if it was something that was, like, hurtful or was, like, a misstep. We make plans for next time. Um, But we kind of talk about it more on, like, a process level, you know? But Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen too, too often. But I also think that clients get nervous about challenging their therapist still. I think we're still working on that as like a kind of like collective around therapy in general. Um, 
So I always really appreciate it when my clients are like, hey, this thing came up and we're kind of feeling like this. I'm like, okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes along with like the communication. I feel like in your book in general, kind of trickle over into other things in mm-hmm. you know like the building resistance with like failure um that could very easily be applied into other aspects i know that here it's like you know if it, like something sexually doesn't go the way you want it to it doesn't mean it's the you know the end of the world um but yeah i think a, a lot of the stuff that you you know have I- in your book actually can translate in, in many different ways and i think makes sense because you're a therapist so you you see everything in that in that kind of wider um, lens. Totally. I mean, I think that I say this to my clients a lot, that your sex life is part of your real life, Mm -hmm. right? So if you want to practice speaking up when you asked for something and you didn't get the thing that you had asked for, like someone misunderstood you, and the example I give is like, you know, you order a coffee, they give you a latte, and most, a lot of people will be like, oh, it's fine, no, I don't want to, don't bother anyone, like, meh, or whatever, and it's mm-hmm. like, it's okay to be like, hey, I think you misheard me, like, this is the thing I asked for, like, reasserting your boundary or whatever, or your desire, and that's a skill that translates to your sex life, and it's something you can practice outside of your sex life. So with you talking to your friends, was the word boundaries used because I feel like now a lot more people are talking about boundaries but Mm. like within that time frame boundaries was almost seen like as a I have a wall up this is something that cannot be like changed like this is a a no compromise zone kind of thing but now boundaries Mm -hmm. are being understood in a different light um so did you feel like that was talked about yeah I mean I agree with you I think that boundaries is having sort of like a renaissance in terms of like it being positive Right. Instead of just like a boundary is only telling someone what you do not want Mm -hmm. rather than looking at a boundary as like creating the container within which we can have like our shared happy experience together. Um, I can't really remember if in my master's degree program, that was something that was talked about a lot beyond client therapist boundaries in terms of like, how do we hold boundaries in the client therapist relationship, which Mm -hmm. I think is, Interesting, because I feel like a lot of stuff, especially as a sex therapist, but also just as any kind of a therapist, the client therapist relationship is like a microcosm of some of the bigger work that clients are doing, because you're essentially building a very um, controlled environment where a relationship between the therapist and the client is happening. So if I have clients who repeatedly cross my boundaries, and that can be like, um, like texting me on a weekend when like I first made it clear that that's beyond my scope or like that email is how to get in touch with me or people who um, cancel last minute all the time and then argue with me about my cancellation policy. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of repeated behavior is a lot more about the boundaries within our relationship. And I can continue to set those boundaries and hold them with kindness and care as an example of like, hey, like, we have a dynamic between the two of us, and I need you to respect my boundaries in order for you to come here and have us be able to do the work that we're here to do together. And if I'm building resentment or like irritation at you, because you continue to cross my boundaries, and I can't show up to work with you in the way that like you deserve. And so it's this interesting sort of like, like meta, 
like meta consent and boundary process happening while you're working together. It's also like good for your healthy attachment, right? So they talk a lot about like parents, for example, if parents hold boundaries inconsistently, right? If they're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, don't do this or you are grounded and then you do the thing and they don't ground you, that's actually not healthy for your attachment style because you don't trust the person holding the container. And I yeah. think like similarly, this can happen in our relationships. This can happen at school. So I do like trainings for educators about how to build a consent forward sex positive classroom. And a lot of that work is about how do you hold the boundaries of this space in a way that is kind and caring and firm and consent focused so that you can all show up together here and not be like, oh, one minute Yada's like holding her cancellation policy up and then the next minute she's not. And like one minute she's texting me on the weekends and then the other time she, you know, like it's not healthy. Mm. People can't form uh, an attachment that feels secure and safe if I'm all over the place. Yeah. Right? If I'm in charge of a container and I'm all over the place, you're not going to feel safe. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And how can it be, you know, (laughs) setting a boundary, you know, with this person that you're having sex with saying like, you know, I'm not really into that thing. But then the one then one day you're like, you know, I do want to try that thing. And you try to communicate that, you know, with whoever your sexual partner is. And, you know, they may feel a little bit like um, scared or like nervous because you set the boundary, you know. So what would be like a recommendation to work through that? you know, being Mm -hmm. on the receiving end of that boundary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think like when I teach consent workshops, we talk about this in the sense of like, we do these little role plays, right? Where I'm like, okay, let's have an example. of Somebody's asking a question, like, can I kiss you? Um, What are some possible responses that you might get? Right. So people will be like, no, yes. Like, hell yes, please do. Like, Uh, I don't know, or like nervous laughter. And then we talk about like, how do you as the person initiating the kissing, how do each of these responses make you feel? Like, do you feel like your consent practice is being held up? Right? So if someone says like, yeah, totally, that sounds good with me. And then their body language is telling me the opposite. I want to check in. Right? I don't, I don't want to be like, well, they said yes. So here I go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I would more so want to be like, hey, like, I hear you saying yes, but your body language is sort of like off. Like, do you want to say more about that? Like, is there something I'm doing to like make you uneasy? And for some people too, like, maybe they do want to do it. And they're just like nervous. And like knowing that is helpful too. Yeah, 100%. And I think that it's like the whole communication that goes into it. Like, First of all, like you talking about in the book, like making sure that green means go, but also Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, making sure that you're having sex with the person that you're having sex with. Like those were two Mm -hmm. things where I was just like, like, yes, like I feel like that should be common knowledge, but also, you know, like lived experiences base our common knowledge. So like Mm -hmm. when you said that, I was like, wow, like that is such a huge thing. And I feel like, you know, if more people were aware with that, aware of that, you know, they'd be able to connect with people more on that level and kind of see eye to eye more on that level and you know try to continue to like do this dance that you're doing when you're having sex yeah totally and I think in response to your boundary scenario right like 
if we're having sex with a person that we're having sex with, right, we want to be aware of like, what is the the wider container of our sexual connection, right? So we want to know that if someone like you're saying someone like one day is like, no, I don't want to do that. And then the next day, they're like, actually, I changed my mind. Yes, I do. So the wider container of our relationship agreement is like, we can change our minds. Yeah. And it's safe for us to explore and it's safe for us to enthusiastically consent to trying something that we're not sure if we're going to like it. And that's okay. Like, let's say that's our wider agreement. However, if within that agreement, if I feel uncomfortable because my partner is like, I do want to do it. I don't, I do, I don't, I do, I don't. I might want to check in about being like, Hey, like, can you clue me in a little more about like what, what is contributing to you changing this boundary a bunch? I'm just curious, you know, because it could be it could be like something that I don't feel comfortable partaking in. Like if they're triggered, they want to do it. And if they feel like centered in themselves, they don't want to do it. Then I don't want to do the thing if they're like in a triggered state and they're saying yes, because they're not centered in themselves. But if it's like, oh, I just learned more information about it and I actually think it sounds fun, you know, then Mm -hmm. I might be like, okay, cool. You know, like, you think like sometimes it could just be it could be I'm sure like a bunch of different things. But for example, like it could very easily be that maybe they just need to expose or do a little bit more like research on it or like kind of get more comfortable with the idea. But they're like kind of down, kind of not down, but it's still best to like continue to check in and make sure that everybody's good throughout the process. Yeah. And I think there's also like you know, like we're talking about here, this is a, this is a two or more person collaborative experience. Mm -hmm. So I think for some people, they want to not necessarily consciously, but they kind of want to test the boundaries. Like they want to say, no, I don't want to do that. And if you are like, come on, like, eh, right. That's Mm -hmm. like a way different vibe than being like, okay, totally. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. that builds a relational, yeah. like um, sets the tone in a big way. And for some people, they need to do that. And and maybe your response might make them feel safe enough to try what you wanted to try. And also people just always evolve, right? So it's like, let's say you're in a 10-year relationship and your partner didn't want to like try bondage for nine years. And then on the 10th mm-hmm. year, they're like, you know what, actually, I do want to do this. Like, People evolve. Like, that's okay. We don't have stagnant boundaries. Yeah, and I I feel like also sometimes, you know, you get more comfortable with a person once you've, like, known them longer. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I'm sure every situation is is very different. But you tackle quite a bit of, like, challenging subjects in your book. Was there anything in particular that you felt like you were, like, unsure how to go about it so it could be perceived in the way you wanted it to get, you know, absorbed? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a great question. Um, I added on the chapter about accountability and repairing boundary mistakes um, last. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely one that I was like, oh, man, like, this is a pretty large topic. You know, Mm -hmm. this topic is controversial for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And this also isn't really in my wheelhouse. Like that's something I work with a lot, one-on-one or two-on-one with people in my therapy practice, but it's not something I generalize very often. And so that was pretty challenging. 
Um, but I felt like it was important. I felt like I couldn't write a consent focused sex book without mm-hmm. talking about we're going to fuck this up. You know, like I can't yeah. be like, Hey, it's okay. Like we're not perfect. We're going to fuck stuff up and then be like, but you're on your own if you do. Because <laughs> I didn't feel like, yeah, very <laughs> surface level, you know, it's not going deep in where it needed to go. So, yeah, mm-hmm. but that is definitely one that I'm interested and nervous to see how people respond to it. And I'm also sort of like, I tried to really heavily um, refer out to different resources for that chapter mm-hmm. and kind of contain it within like a certain amount, like a certain boundary violation to try to make it a little more like, I can't write a whole book about this mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> so like, we're going to digest it in a small way. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably the biggest part that I was struggling with. Yeah, um, it, was, it sounds very like case by case, you know, and, it is, and yeah. everybody's boundaries are so different. So it's, yeah, to write that chapter, I, I'm sure was, sounds hard because you don't want to go to one way or to the other. And um, it's a very balancing act of, you know, to get it right. So a question that I really wanted to ask was sometimes doing things for your partner that you may not necessarily be into, you know, but you're doing it um, out of an act of love. Mm. Um, There's a little section in the book. I think it's in one of the later chapters. And I talk about conscious compromise instead of compromise is key. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this kind of applies to this. So I feel like with compromise is key, we are kind of taught that a healthy relationship is all about compromise, right? So it's like, if I do bondage for you, you'll do more oral sex for me. Exactly. And that feels very transactional. It doesn't feel like based in the values of my work in the book, which is to keep consent and pleasure at the forefront. And so I talk about like, we're not scrap, we're not scrapping like all compromise. Like, obviously, we're not going to all align all the time on all the things. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a way that we make compromises that could be different. So understanding, like, is my bondage, is the, my no to bondage, like, how strong is it? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, am I, like, super triggered and, like, really upset the entire time I'm doing mm-hmm. this bondage? Because, mm-hmm. like, maybe that just needs to be a no. Yeah. You, and leave it. Is that a boundary I should set for myself, or right. you know, is it too? Is it too far that way? Mm. Or is it something that you're kind of like, eh? I could take it or leave it, but my partner's like really into it, so like, yeah, like I'll do it, whatever. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. Um, or you could get stuck in a place where the person that's really into bondage has a hard time connecting with you when you're doing it because they can tell that you're sort of like phoning it in. Mm. Yeah. And in that case, I like to try to talk to my clients about like, okay, what's the flavor of sex that you like? Meaning like, let's say the flavor I like is to be submissive. Can I find a submissive flavor in the acts that my partner wants to do? So like, let's say my partner really wants more oral sex and I don't feel like that's a submissive thing to do. Is there a way for us to like, have submit more submissive driven oral sex does that make sense yeah 
It's <laughs> I'm kind of like absorbing it and letting it sit with me. Being like, <laughs> yeah, what or is me, the flavor? Let me, use, let me use a different example that maybe makes more sense. Let's say I'm a dominant okay. and my partner wants more blowjobs. But I'm like, isn't a blowjob sort of like inherently a submissive act mm-hmm. given like a patriarchy and kind of like how it's framed in a lot of media, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Can we get creative about how do I maintain the dominant flavor that I like to bring to sex while also giving you more blowjobs? Yeah. 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 Like right? maybe so- I can tie you up while I give you the blowjob. That makes me totally. feel like I'm in charge of it. You know? But- <laughs> totally. Yeah. So. You so- can use- Dirty talk, position, uh-huh. the, the flavor. You're, you're getting the dominant flavor in there. I, exactly. <laughs> How do you go about f- uh, communicating? Like, let's find something else because that is a strong no and it's something specific. So it's not like something that I can like ruffle up like as something broad, like, a, like being a dominant or submissive. That's very broad. Um, how, maybe starting a conversation i don't know about opening it up to something else me perhaps or what would you recommend in that situation so i feel like the same idea with the flavor thing actually can work in the reverse as well so let's say i'm really into this uber specific like i want to dress up like Minnie mouse Mm -hmm. and uh eat ice cream out of a cat dish Mm -hmm. right real specific Mm -hmm. And my partner's like, yeah, dude, that doesn't do it for me. Okay, so, like, why am I so into this Minnie Mouse ice cream dish scenario? What is it about this thing that does it for me? Mm-hmm. And can we incorporate that into something else that isn't exactly that, but does it yeah. for both of us enough? Like, the Venn diagram overlaps between us enough that we're both into it. Because the other thing is, like, you really don't want to have sex, especially, like, kinky or, like, kind of like um alternative sex Mm -hmm. with someone that isn't into it yeah 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 Yeah, because you can feel it like you can feel that there's something not Mm -hmm. there if i put on my best Minnie mouse costume and you don't like it i'm gonna know yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) so what inspired you to write a book about queer sex yeah i think that to me in terms of like writing the book i feel like a lot of books that i've seen about sex and sexuality are either super cis hetero focused or they're like they're like you know the big lesbian sex bible or whatever Mm -hmm. which like great i'm glad that the big lesbian sex bible if that's even a real book exists (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. it's good to have these niche um resources available that speak to specific communities personally for me it was important to write a book that was kind of like effortlessly inclusive in that way and so in the book like you might have noticed that a lot of my case examples there's like gender neutral pronouns there's like a lot Mm -hmm. of different pairings there's a lot of different sex topics that come up and that really reflects my actual clientele you know that's actually what my real life is like and I think for a while, people thought that if you wrote a sex book that wasn't geared towards like this kind of like imagined like straight cis quote unquote majority, 
that it wouldn't sell or it wouldn't do well. But mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, if a straight person can't like read this book and like deal with the fact that like <laughs> there's like a mix of pronouns and pairings in this book, like then this book is not for them. And they have a lot of other options that they can read. They can yeah. Read. Um, but I just don't think that's going to happen, you know? And I think this also was kind of recent, like in my therapy training, like of talking about our intake paperwork and in our intake paperwork, you know, I'm like, just put a place for people to write their pronouns and people would Mm -hmm. be like, well, what if people don't understand what that means and they feel alienated? And I'm like, well, you're talking about alienating people that are widely catered to to, like in general space. And if they don't understand it, they just skip it. Like anyone that hasn't understood that question on my intake form just doesn't fill it out. (laughs) And like, it's fine. (laughs) Don't worry so much. Um, But it will have a very strong effect on somebody who like, you know, that validates them or that like helps them feel like seen by you. So I think that's great. Yeah, because it does kind of separate like I I can speak on personal experience like when I've tried reading some of these like sex education books and they're they're very like you said hetero focused so and like it feels like almost I can't connect with the material because it's not written with me in mind so so yeah so no it's 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 I'm glad that reading through your book I felt like there was things you know people who didn't exactly you know follow like my relationship patterns exactly right but i think it it felt yeah overall very inclusive i think it not only could be applied to somebody you just are like hooking up with for the night but also obviously like the the people that have been married for many years that need to like spice things up you know so i yeah no i i wanted to say like props for sure on on that because i I think that's gonna help so many people like feel seen um and represented in in the book more than i more than alienated for sure so and it's important to me too to like throw in examples that include like kink stuff or non-monogamy stuff like Mm -hmm. and throw in examples that like and by throw in i mean like just say it like it's normal because mm-hmm. it is you know like, yeah there's no need to be like and this client is kinky and this is what that means it's like no like we know like come on mm-hmm. now like we know what this means <laughs> just like keep it moving yeah and this I is know. and they have these two partners it's like it's it's like oh and they're polyamorous and you don't have to explain uh, okay like we get it okay there's three partners yeah. we see that okay and then that's you know so yeah, I think I think you're trusting the reader to understand that you know they could still take from those stories what can still be applied to them. Um, yeah, so I think you you think you're 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 treating your readers with respect in a way, like like they they can understand what you're what, what you're putting out and hopefully take something from all of what you put down. Totally. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, like, the queer community has been doing that kind of editing for a long time, right? Like, we're taking what they can out of the story. And it's like, okay, well, take what you can out of the story. (laughs) It doesn't have to be catered to you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand something, there's a huge resource section in the back. And that's what it's there for. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not going to write opening up within this book. I'm not going to write, like, a trans 101 in this book. Like, you can figure that out yeah oh my gosh well that's amazing and i'm really glad you know that you you first of all wrote this book 
but also that conversations like these are being had more often because you know like you said it is a normal thing and people do live these experiences like these are people's real lives and queer people have been you know taking what applies to them their whole entire lives mostly and you know I Mm -hmm. think about your book and I also think about like the show like sex education and I'm like wow you know like I wish that I had things like this when I was younger so you know like that way I could see myself in places where I'm like that's me like that's what I resonate with and like you know I see myself in that but instead you know for me personally I just kind of felt like oh you know this is like what I see in porn and like these are the conversations (laughs) that I'm like having with my friends so I think that this is what I'm supposed to be doing totally and I think too like I mean I feel similarly I watch the stuff that's on Netflix now like sex education and like there's a whole pleasure principles of pleasure series and even just like I watch a lot of like teen drama type series that I really love and it's just like I'm like damn kids are getting such good stuff right now yeah (laughs) yeah kind of amazing and I'm like wow like I like I said this in my acknowledgments page in the book where I knew I couldn't dedicate my sex book to my son. I know people can't hang with that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not all of my readers are going to be nuanced enough to be like, oh, sweet. They're going to be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. In the back of the book in the acknowledgments page, I did say, you know, I hope that by the time you're old enough to read this book, it is totally irrelevant. Like, I don't want to... I want boundaries and consent and pleasure and the permission to have all of these things to just be like a regular ass part of his life. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, you know, 10, 15 years to work that out. And I would like to hope that that would happen. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, what they are saying too, is that a lot of like Gen Z is queer now, which is like, significantly oh more oh. than like, you know, our generation was. Um, so how do you think, you know, um, having conversations with like books like yours and, you know, TV shows like we're having like with sex education and euphoria, you know, these different kinds of shows, how do you think that they'll impact generations below ours? Oh man, I don't know. I mean, I can tell you what I hope it does. I hope that it makes more inroads for people to talk about this stuff in a way that's very normal, yeah. you know, and relaxed. So like, I know this sounds kind of like corny, but when I see people reading, even my column, and I'm, I hope that this also happens with the book. I haven't seen people out in the, out in the wild reading my book yet, but I will see people out in the wild reading my column at like a diner or something. And I'm like, Good for you, man. Like, I'm stoked that you're, like, reading this sex thing, this, like, obvious sex thing in this public place. Like, that makes me happy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It really shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. Be be treated like it's so taboo and it's something that is literally affecting, like, mostly everyone. So, yeah, I think that's that's awesome. We're going to be walking around soon seeing all these people reading Hot and Unbothered. (laughs) I know, and I'll be like, hey, what do you think? Oh my god, can I tell you a little story about my dad? Oh, please do. <laughs> I don't think he's ever going to listen to this, so he he's pretty private, so I don't want to embarrass him, but I think he's pretty funny. So we live in like a really small area, which again, I could go on about that in terms of being a queer therapist who is non-monogamous and dating in a small town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where I, I work with my peer group, essentially, it's unreal but anyway we live in a small town and my dad went to some like country store 
and there's a young woman working the register who is reading my column. <laughs> and my dad, who's like a man in his late 50s, <laughs> who works construction, like rolls up to the counter and goes, hey, how do you like that column? Oh my gosh. <laughs> he's telling me this He's telling me this story and I was like, Dad, did you tell he, her that uh, I that your daughter writes it? And he was like, No, I wanted to get no. I wanted to get her honest opinion on what she thought. And I was like, Okay, Dad, let's just do that. Oh man. <laughs> oh, he meant so him. well by that though. <laughs> he meant so well. Yeah. Like, let's oh, just think about how that may have landed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is the most dad thing I've ever heard. Oh my god, it was so cute. I was like, I'm <laughs> so thrilled that you like support my like freaky sex writing because they all, but all yeah. of my friends have are very supportive. Almost like too supportive, you know. I'm like, okay, everybody, I don't really want to talk about how <laughs> my personal Navinaga's life works <laughs> with you. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that was so funny. I was like, oh man, okay. <laughs> oh, I love that. They're probably a huge part of why you've always kind of felt so forward and so open when it comes to, to sex. Would you say that that um, the family support was influenced quite a bit? Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because people, well, my parents kind of have this funny habit of like, taking credit for my career like back mm. and forth like as a joke as a joke mm-hmm. not like actually if they're like oh that's because i like gave that really good sex talk that one year you know? <laughs> <laughs> and like my parents definitely like they did what parents in the like 90s and early 2000s were told to do which was trap me in a car in a moving car and talk to me about stds <laughs> oh yes oh, <laughs> But I will say I definitely was raised in a liberal area. There was, like, really not a thing. Like, my sister and I both, like, dated a wide variety of people. I never had to, like, come out to them in any, like, real grand manner. Like, none of that was, like, a thing, which I think is really impactful and important. Mm -hmm. But the sex education part specifically, I don't really, I don't really know where it came from. You're like, sorry guys, you're not getting the credit for that. I mean, it must have been some, you know, some of it had to be them. And uh-huh. like, of course, at some point when I was like working at a sex toy store after college, they never were like, you're the worst. Don't do that. Like, go work at a bank. Like, they were like, cool. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so I'm sure they would love credit. Uh- I give them all the credit. It's all them. It was all them. It was all them. Yana, what is the most important thing you want somebody from... If they pick up your book, you're like, I want you to absorb this. I want you to read this as well. I want you to pick up if you pick up anything. I think that mostly what I want people to pick up is talk about sex outside of sex itself. Like, Mm -hmm. make sex... Make your sex life borderline academic. (laughs) You know? Yes. So if you were going to pick up the book and you were like, oh, this book is long, which it is. It's a big book. But it has activities. Can, can I just, for my, for my ADHD brain, 
I picked that book up and I was reading through it and I, I got through, uh, you know, like two chapters. A good chunk. Uh, yeah, yeah, a good chunk of it. And then I, wh- as soon as I was going to start to 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 veer, because that's just the way my mind works, not because the book wasn't like great. Yeah, um, I love that you put in those little interactive bits in there. And it, it also makes you also check in with yourself too, because you, you like, you know, you, you just read something t- that might seem like I know Zach was saying earlier, some things seem almost like they're common sense, right? Like, like how do you not know that this is like something you know you should be doing? You kind of check yourself a little bit, so I think that yeah. that was that was I, pretty cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And also, I will say too, right? If you're gonna pick up the book and only do one thing, I would do the yes, no, maybe list on chapter seven. Oh, okay. Yes, no, maybe. I think that's the most practical part. I mean, I love the long form writing, but if you're just like, eh, whatevs, <laughs> like, I think that the yes, no, maybe list is the most immediately applicable thing. I've had mm-hmm. such a wonderful conversation with you, and you know, it was very informative. And I feel like, if anything, this just enriched the experience of reading your book and continuing oh, to read thanks. your book. So I'm really excited to continue to learn what I get out of it personally, but also just to share with our audience and you know, just <laughs> my friends, all the relationships that I have. Um, but is there anything that you would like to share before we sign off? And you can find me on Instagram at the underscore V spot, V like vagina. My website is yanatalonhicks.com. My book is called Hot and Unbothered. You can find it anywhere you buy books. It's out right now. Please buy it. Yes, buy it. <laughs> buy 10. You need That's to I got. share buy it with your right friends. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, Yana. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you. You You too. too. Bye. Bye. And this is Whisper Whisper Podcast. Thanks for listening to Whisper Podcast. We're Zach and Dylan, and you can find us at Whisper Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter at Whisper underscore podcast. Cover art by Dylan Gomez. Editing by Zach Tyler. Music by Audionautics.com. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Love the show? Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Bye!